Hey everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Our, Our Odd, Odd Pod, Pod Podcast. Podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything else in between. And everything in between. What's up? It's me, Billy. It's me, Billy. You're not Billy. Oh. How's it going? Not Billy? Uh, good, Billy. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> uh, this week feels a lot better than last week. Yeah, we're a little closer to a answer. I'm just saying. I'm Things just feel saying. a little bit lighter. The world seems a little bit brighter. Things seem a little bit lighter. The world seems a little bit brighter. Welcome to Our Odd Pod Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Felicia's constant rhyming of words. My future poetry career. My future poetry career. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell me you're not feeling better about this week. You know what? I feel better. No? You don't feel better? I feel better, yes. <laughs> All I'm saying is I literally danced when I was at work on Saturday. Not, not giving any reasons as to why, but... But there was dancing. There was dancing involved. There was lots of smiles. I even like hip checked somebody. I heard there were high fives. High fives were given in yeah. this day and age. Highly risky. Highly risky. Has it really only been two minutes since we started talking? It feels like Ooh. it's been hours. Feels like it's been forever. Anything you want to talk about? Anything going on this week or uh, special events? Special events. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. Okay. Thanksgiving's coming up. Yay, Thanksgiving. Uh, survived a big day at work. Ooh, you know what? No Black Friday this year. It's all online. No Black Friday this year. That's amazing. That is amazing. I'm excited. Let me. Can you hear if I? Can you hear me? No. Thank you. Could you hear that? I don't like that. <laughs> that was me taking a big old sip of my double double. Beautiful cold brew. Wow. That's when I cut the uncut cold brew with, with cold, cold brew, brew and also <laughs> water, but mostly cold brew. It's oh. just cold brew all the way down. Just asking for like a kidney stone. Yeah, it's okay. It's it's a long time coming. So um, <laughs> I guess I could talk about what wait, I'm wait, gonna. We're talking about aliens this week, right? I mean, there are aliens mentioned. Yes. Okay. Why? Did you stop me from saying what we were talking about this week I so you could guess. ask? I wanted to guess. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. We are. Which means I'm right. You're not 100% right. If this were a test, you would get like a low B or a high C. Oh, Actually, you know what? It might be a little higher than that. I'm, I think I'm, I'm taking a little bit away from you. Um, I'm prepared to be average. This week, we are talking about The Men in Black. Ooh. And not the awesome movie. Which is probably a good thing. I haven't seen it. Really? Nope. We don't have to change that. And I've seen like bits and pieces. Of, and I've been on like the, the Men in Black ride at Universal Studios. You know, that's the movie that launched Will Smith into superstardom. So I know Will Smith from his musical career. Do you, though? <laughs> Are you sure that's where you know him from? Because his musical career, I mean... Did not care about Will Smith until I like, heard him on the radio. I just, I didn't think people remembered things that far back. Because I'm pretty sure you were a baby 
during his musical career because I was a child. Yeah, I'm just talking about like his later music career. Like when he Came wrote such Switch. such hit songs as Here Come the Men in Black. <laughs> no. Or when he took us to the Wild Wild West. Cisco. No. Yeah, from the Thong song. Oh my god. They made a song together. Will Smith was big on making music, like making songs for his own movies. I don't know if you we ever came noticed out that. With a, um, an album while I was like in my musical enlightenment, and it was musical called, virginity. Yeah, it was called Switch, and I just loved that song, and that's the only reason why I care about Will Smith. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard that song. Oh, we should listen to it. All right, we'll listen to it maybe after this. <laughs> so I have titled this week's episode. You've already titled it? Yeah. Oh. It's titled, Here Come the Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I guess we can get started. Let's do it. I'm going to start it like I do every time I start it. Who are the men in black? There are men that wear black? Y- yes, mostly right. I, po- thought, I feel like without like making fun of things i feel like i know a little bit about the men in black yeah yeah i mean most of it's right in the name (laughs) 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 you gotta you gotta respect a moniker that just really lays it out for you you know well it's like they didn't name themselves right I don't think they show up and this go, what, like, hello, we're the men in black. This is what conspiracy theorists like call them. Yeah. It's a conspiracy, right? I guess it just depends on who you ask. Like People who believe conspiracies never think it's a conspiracy, oh, right? Right. Okay, well, okay, go, go, go. So who are the men in black? In pop culture, the men in black are mysterious men, or supposedly men anyway, wearing black suits that show up and harass poor, mm-hmm. innocent UF. Ufologist. Yes, that is a term I have recently discovered. Ufologist? Here it is. Here's the thing. It's U-F-O-L-O-G-I-S-T-S. So is it ufologist? Is it ufologist? Is it ufologist? (laughs) As much as I want it to be ufologist, it's definitely not ufologist. Ufologist. So do you think it's ufologist or do you think it's ufologist? Ufologist, it has to be. All right, we'll just call it something. Each time that word comes up, just I'll say, say it a different way. And then we're bound to be right. In my notes here in bold, it says, briefly discuss the pronunciation of your apologies. <laughs> just uh, check that off. <laughs> so we're going to tick that box because we did it. Now, apparently they don't always just harass the people they encounter. There have been stories of, yes, harassment, but also threats and even assassination. The Men in Black are fairly prominent figures in the realm of UFO lore. Somewhere around the 1950s and 60s, UFologists began to fear that they would be the subject of some sort of retaliation for discovering, quote, the truth about UFOs. But UFO sightings predate this time period by a lot. So UFO sightings came before the Men in Black. Like a long time before, before cameras, before the internet, before a lot. But aren't like UFOs like featured in a lot of Renaissance paintings? I'm fairly certain there is a UFO in the Mona Lisa. 
Really? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't. I guess I haven't looked that close. But they do pop up in like art from different time periods. And in fact, like without getting completely into ancient alien theory, um, there's a ancient Indian book where they describe the gods battling with weapons that are like very akin to nuclear bombs and moving around in ships that could be hmm. like thought of as either planes or spaceships. So we're like moving like parallel with aliens in this. I guess so, yeah. The book is called the Mahabharata. Yeah. They talk about the gods using weapons that like left the land devastated, no crops would grow there. The people who lived in the area died from disease afterward. Anyway, we're not talking about ancient oh, okay. aliens. Sorry, sorry. No, sorry. go ahead. Like radiation or something. Yeah, like radiation poisoning, mm-hmm. like fallout. So that's pretty interesting. Sorry I don't know. To derail you. It's okay. I my actual goal is to derail you like every time we do a thing so it's fine (laughs) bring it on (laughs) so these types of theories have predated by a lot and i haven't read this book all i know is like very small snippets that i've read about it and things i've watched on like documentaries quote unquote so if you're like some kind of scholar of you know ancient indian religion the alien and for some fucking reason you're listening to this podcast and you're like well actually the uh the translation is this and so just save it well first of all welcome yeah first of all welcome second of all just save it actually you know what tell me because i want to know um anyway we're gonna go back to one of the if not the earliest sighting ufo sighting in the united states well it wasn't the united states at the time but yeah march 1st 1639 Puritan lawyer and leading figure of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, John Winthrop, made a pretty strange entry into his journal. So, Johnny Boy wrote about a guy named James Everill. Earlier that year, James and two of his homeboys were rowing a boat through some swampy offshoot of the Charles River. Okay. Pay attention to that because it's a guy and two of his friends in a boat, okay? Just keep that in mind. Are they wearing black? No, just keep it in mind moving forward. It was here that they saw a great light in the sky. Winthrop wrote, When it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. Diverse other credible sources saw the same light after about the same place. Over the course of a few hours, the light swiftly traveled between the boatmen and the village of Charleston, which was about two miles away. Okay. When the light finally faded, the Puritans in the boat were shocked to find themselves a mile upstream. Shooketh. As if they had been transported. It's like and they're, they're a mile upstream against the current. So none of them had any memory of rowing oh, against weird. the tide, right? You would definitely remember that. Yeah, been there, done that, it sucks. <laughs> Some people think they could have been carried by the wind upstream in a boat that doesn't have a sail yeah um and then there's something called a reverse tidal flow that some people say may be responsible isn't that what's happened before though i'm not really sure like, like what there was, that like, is an earthquake, or, well, an earthquake and then like the mississippi started flowing the other way i don't know i have no idea about that <laughs> is that like an alabama history thing Oh, I know. I don't know. I'm just curious because, like, I was not paying attention that day if we talked about it. (laughs) Maybe not the Mississippi. Maybe the Nile. I don't know. 
All I know is that it's called a reverse tidal flow, and the name suggests to yeah, me that a, I don't know. that the water was flowing in the wrong think, direction. It's not the first time I've heard of that happening. Well, if people are going to attribute this to it, it must be something that does happen, right? Um, however, in their book, Wonders in the Sky, Unexplained Aerial Objects from Antiquity to Modern Times, Jacques Vallée and Chris Aubeck write, the mysterious repositioning of the boat could suggest that they were unaware of part of their experience. Like, no shit, right? Some researchers would interpret this as a possible alien abduction if it happened today. Okay. Which, I guess they're right. Fair enough. Um, I'll allow it. I will say this, though. They have no memory of rowing against the tide. So, the mysterious repositioning of the boat could suggest that they were unaware of part of their experience. What if they had just like, been no like shit. drinking a lot and they thought it'd be really funny to carry their boat? Maybe. The problem is it was since 1639, so it's like we can't just call them up and ask, you know? Not a whole lot of documentation going on. No Facebook check-ins. Also, it's possible that this light was called caused by something called an ignis fatus. This is a pale light that can appear over marshlands due to the combustion of gas from organic matter. So it's just like a itty-bitty flame? It's like a, a light that kind of drifts along the ground. Bioluminescent germs? Kind of. This seems unlikely, though, because the light that was reported wasn't rising from the swamp so much as it was shooting across the sky. Okay. Now, if you thought this was the last report of a UFO in ye old pre-America, then you would be wrong. Because in January of 1644, January 18th, 1644. It's like four years later. Once again, John Winthrop wrote. Why is it only happening to this one guy? I guess he's the only person that thinking to write it down. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Didn't think about that. Maybe he's one of the few people that can actually write in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So that's completely fair. Um, about midnight, three men, once again, three men in a boat, right? Anyway, about midnight, three men coming in a boat to Boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of the town cove in form like a man, and went at a small distance to the town, and so to the south point, and there vanished away. He's describing aliens as like little orbs of light. To be fair, at this point, no one's saying aliens. They're just talking about weird lights in the sky. Okay. Because they're 1600s Puritans, and they don't fucking know what I it. think they were like, they probably have no concept of like seeing goats. Hang, oh, hang oh. in there. <laughs> a week later, he again dear diaried about an unexplained celestial event over Boston Harbor. He wrote, "A light like the moon arose over the northeast point in Boston, and met the former of Noddles. I could be saying that wrong. Noddles Island, and there they closed in one, and then parted and closed and parted diverse times." And so went over the hill in the island and vanished. Sometimes they shot out flames and sometimes sparkles. This was about eight of the clock in the evening and was seen by many. About the same time, a voice was heard upon the water between Boston and Dorchester, calling out in a most dreadful manner, Boy, boy, come away, come away. And it suddenly shifted from one place to another a great distance about twenty times. It was heard by diverse godly persons about 14 days after the same voice in the same dreadful manner was heard by others on the other side of the town towards Noddles Island. Now, 
John Winthrop obviously did not think these events had anything to do with aliens. At least, I'm pretty sure he didn't. The next part isn't... Did he have, like, an idea of what it was? He did. Or he had, like, a his own guess? He did indeed. Oh, okay. And this next part is his guess, which it's not super relevant to the topic. Mm-hmm. But given the nature of our show, I think it would be a huge mistake to leave it out. Well, let's hear it. Because the governor noted that the most recent of strange events had occurred near the site of an explosion. Months earlier, a sailor aboard a vessel had accidentally ignited some gunpowder, and the resulting blast killed five crew members. Rescuers had recovered the bodies of all the victims except for the man who had apparently been responsible for the explosion. Notably, this man was a sailor who had claimed to possess the ability to speak with the dead. He was also suspected to have murdered his master in Virginia. Ooh, so, ghost. Winthrop seemed to think that the devil had taken possession of the man's body, and it was the voice of his ghost that had accompanied the strange celestial lights from that night. So would this be like the the first documentation of, like, ghost? I do not know. That's a good question. I'm willing to bet not. I mean, like, probably not, but, like, maybe in America? Like, what was it, 1644? 1644. Mm. Maybe. But I don't know, because, like, this is, the Puritans were here. I think the Spanish came before. And I feel like they probably would have encountered more superstition. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Let's look it up. Right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, so again, not super relevant to the alien bits of this episode, but I absolutely think this explanation fits into the theme of odd macabre and everything in between that we here for it. try to keep alive on this podcast. All nine episodes. So I know what you're thinking. Do you? Actually, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm going to say that I do as a tool to progress the podcast forward. Okay. So as I was saying, I know what you're thinking. Mm. Billy. It's really cool that unexplained celestial events have been reported for so long in this country. Wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. But why did the ufologists only start to get paranoid about attempts to suppress their knowledge? Mm. Tell me why. Well, I'm glad that you totally asked that in our pretend conversation. <laughs> this is thanks to a fella named Harold Dahl. Not to be confused with Harold the Dahl. Ugh. So, you know about Harold the Dahl? We watched a movie about Harold the Dahl. I need you to calm down. That was Harold. That was Harold. Yeah, remember we watched that awesome, totally realistic movie about Harold the Doll? That's not about Harold the Doll. Well, the doll's name in the movie was Harold, and the name of the movie was Harold the Doll. Anyway. So explain that to me, Felicia Bones. (laughs) I'm waiting. So Harold's story is quite possibly the origin of the Men in Black lore. Okay. I was going to say mythology or reportings, but lore seems more belief neutral, right? Anyway, June 27th, 1947. We're only three years later. What? Oh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) June 27th, 1947. A man. I was like, wow, it's only three years. A man, a dog, a boat. Oh, and there's also a boy there. 
Harold was on casually a, a boy there. Harold was on a boat gathering logs near the eastern shore of Washington's Mari Island, and he was not the father. Just kidding. I'm pretty sure he was the father. Otherwise, we're going to need to discuss the boy on the boat, right? No, I'm just kidding. It was his son, Charles. <laughs> As the story goes... Six donut-shaped thingamabobs appeared in the sky. Do they really describe it as thingamabobs? Totally. No, it was... That's me. I described them as thingamabobs. Okay. And they appeared in the sky, hovering about a half a mile above his boat. It wasn't long before one of them fell about 1,500 feet, raining metallic debris onto the occupants of the boat. Okay. It's not like glitter? No, like metal. Pieces of metal. Mm. That's Some of exciting. the debris hit the boy and the dog, who sadly did not survive the ordeal. Mm. Uh, the dog, I mean. The boy was fine. He just broke his arm. I don't care about the boy. But the doggy died. Mm. Now, don't like that. Mr. Harold Dahl was able to take some pictures of the UFO, UFOs. He just so happened to have like a camera on him. I don't know what the fuck he was doing out there. It's 1940. This is a, probably the time I should put out a spoiler that I put this together in what, like a day? Yeah, last night. <laughs> um, Weren't cameras and a little, like 600 pounds? And a little bit this morning. Yeah, I imagine that in 1947, cameras were huge. Okay, um, but I'll allow it. Maybe Polaroid? Maybe not, though. You know what? Maybe we'll have to look it up. Now, Mr. Harold, like I said, was able to take some pictures of the UFOs with his camera which I can only imagine with it being 1947 that, like we said, the camera was boat. fucking huge. But as always, I could be wrong. He is on a boat. Okay. The cam- What's he doing with the camera on the boat? I'm just saying, I don't think they're really collecting logs. Yeah. I'm in, uh, there's a book about this. I'm going to have to read okay. it. <laughs> um, to me, the timeline in this story is a little weird. Yeah. Because I don't know if Dahl developed his own pictures or what the deal was, but he was later able to show the footage he had taken to his supervisor a guy named Fred Chrisman. It's not like you can go down to the Walgreens and get it printed out in an hour. Right. And apparently... I'm calling shenanigans. I'm calling shenanigans. Also, remember the name Fred Chrisman. And if there's any, like, conspiracy theorists out there right now, they just heard that name and they're like, oh, shit, Fred Chrisman. So apparently Fred was skeptical. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about Fred in a minute. But for now, apparently he was skeptical. So he went back to the scene where he himself saw some kind of strange aircraft with his very own allegedly doubtful eyes. (laughs) This is why I think the timeline's weird, because he took the pictures, he showed the pictures to Fred, and then apparently the next morning, Dahl alleges that he was visited by a man in a black suit. Now an appropriate pause for gasping. Wait. (gasps) A man in black, you said? I forgot how to gasp for a second. (laughs) I breathe out. <laughs> now an appropriate pause for gasping. <laughs> I <was> that went. <laughs> um, yes, a man in a man in black. <gasps> this is why it's weird because he took the pictures the same day he supposedly showed the pictures to Fred, and then the next day, this I dude don't shows believe up. Believe that. So somehow they Google it later, and it's gonna be like. One hour printing was totally a thing. As far as I know, this story's a little, you know, Okay. there's like some hoaxy vibes, obviously. But anyway, somehow they ended up at a local diner. 
a diner. Harold and the man in black ended up at a diner. This is how I imagine it going, okay? Who's there? Man in black. Oh, hey, how, how can I help you? Well, I was here to threaten you about seeing some alien shit, but I'm also really hungry. You cool if we do this down at the IHOP? Oh, yeah, I fucking love IHOP. Good. <laughs> because I, I find that the loaded French toast really takes the sting out of threats of bodily harm. That's how I imagine it going. So they ended up at this diner. <laughs> not the IHOP. Probably not the IHOP. Maybe the first IHOP ever. The awful waffle. Oh, yeah, awful waffle. Is that Salute Your Shorts? Remember that show? Mm-mm. You don't, where'd you hear awful waffle? Oh, the waffle house. That's what they call it, isn't it? <laughs> awful waffle was a thing on this show where they would like smear syrup on somebody and then smush it with a tennis racket. It was like a show about the summer camp called Salute Your Shorts. It's awesome. You should check it out. Anyway. I was talking about Waffle House. I love the awful waffle. You mean where we had, was it Christmas dinner? Thanksgiving dinner that one time? Thanksgiving dinner. Thank you, Waffle House, for having so many family memories. Um, lost my place. Oh, right. So Derailed. <laughs> I just, yeah. So they end up at this diner. And I can only imagine that they are stuffing their faces with some greasy nonsense. Mm. But the man in black is able to recount in scary, accurate detail everything that had transpired the day before. This is like within a span of like 48 hours. Something like that. Even less. If the story I that I read is to be believed. I was hours to believe that a night had happened. Um, according to the 1956 book, they knew too much about flying saucers. The man said, <laughs> the man said, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. Mm-hmm. And then according to Dahl, he was then instructed not to speak of the incident or something bad would happen. And now we know about it. I know. Did something bad happen? I don't know. I mean, he's probably dead now, so I guess. It's like, if you speak about it, you're going to die of natural causes And many now years everybody now. knows everything, and he's dead. Uh-huh. The men in black are going to come to our house. How old was he in 1940? I don't know. Did it say? I don't think it said. Mm, shenanigans. We'll look it up later. There's a lot of that. Anyway. Lots we must look up later. So, the events of Mari Island are still providing fuel to flames of conspiracy theories. That was a weird inflection that I used. <laughs> However, a U.S. government investigation deemed it a hoax. Dahl and Chrisman even admitted as much a little later down the road. I'm calling a hoax on that, too. Just because it doesn't, it, the timeline's too soon. It's too quick. That's fair, but I will say that in the mind of a conspiracy theorist, that probably has cover-up written all over it, right? But like... Like, oh, the, go- oh, the U.S. government deemed it a hoax? Really? The government did that? Okay, but the guy sees... And- lights his dog dies mm-hmm. he's completely unconcerned about the dog and his kid's broken arm he then instead of taking care of his child goes develop film with a camera he just so happened to have on his boat well again i don't really know the timeline you know they're making it sound like it happened in the evening that's fair and then he sleeps at some point seemingly. allegedly allegedly wakes up the next morning Meets this guy at his front door. They go down to the awful waffle and get some like eggs and hash browns. <laughs> Maybe that's why they went to the diner because he was mad sleepy from not sleeping for like a day and a half. 
And then, like, what? This guy just threatens them, and he's like, cool. Yeah, apparently. Shenanigans. It's fair. That's a fair reaction. And also, but my point is that the government saying the doing an investigation and saying it was a hoax. I don't need the government to tell me that it's a hoax. And then the people that were threatened not to talk about it also saying it was a hoax. It does still have kind of like, you could see where conspiracy people would probably still go along with this. I wish they could just see my face right now because, like, okay. She's doing like the scrunchy face, unimpressed look. Okay. So anyway, on this note, seems like an appropriate time, especially with what you said, to skip back to Mr. Fred Chrisman. Skip back to him. Before any of this went down, Chrisman had written to Amazing Stories, which was a science fiction magazine that started in 1926, claiming that he had battled mysterious and evil underground creatures to free himself from a cave in Burma during World War II. Later, he would go on to have some weird ties to the JFK assassination. When did the LSD experiments go on? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I want to know. He was subpoenaed to testify against Clay Shaw, who was one of a group of activists accused of being involved with elements of the CIA in the JFK assassination. So his involvement with the whole JFK thing is really weird, and there are a few more branches of the story, but but that's not really what we're talking about. We should talk about that. About JFK? Yeah. Absolutely. And now we've planted a seed for a future episode. Water it. Watch it grow. We're going to water it with cold brew. I'm not sure if writing to science fiction magazines and being wrapped up in weird conspiracy trials makes his alien claim seem more or less believable, but I'm going to judge him as... Less, wackadoo. I was going to say less believable. Yeah. I feel like those magazines are catered to the conspiracy theorist. I believe you are correct. Score. Um, and up until this point, we have very briefly mentioned the Men in Black, which is supposed to be the topic. So let's just double back a oh, teeny bit. Oh yeah, I forgot bit. what the topic was. <laughs> let's just double back a teeny bit and discuss what exactly we know about the Men in Black. Wait, so hold on, let me... Okay. So I'm keeping up. We started in 1640. No men in black, just lights and aliens. Mm-hmm. 1940, we have our first encounter. 1944, we have our first encounter with a supposed men in black. Man in I black. I think it was 1947, but yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, damn. 1947, we have our first encounter of a man wearing black. Okay? Yes. Were they? All, all caught up. <laughs> Now we're going to discuss what exactly we know about the Men in Black, which admittedly is not a lot, but I guess that's kind of fitting though, right? We're going to get into like sightings of the Men in Black. A few. Okay, okay, I'm excited. Like, it should be noted that I haven't included a lot of individual sightings of the Men in Black, but everything that I have on here comes from information gained from people who supposedly saw, saw the Men in Black. Oh, let's do it. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm re-pumped. Let's do this. So they're probably best known for their portrayal in the fucking outstanding Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones 90s jaunt. (laughs) Well, it's like a whole string of movies. I think there's like four now, right? And one universal ride. And I'm also pretty sure it was a comic book before that. Anyway, the movie shows the Men in Black as a sort of benevolent quasi-government agency that's keeping an eye on alien activity on Earth as well as protecting the planet from extraterrestrial threats. Mm -hmm. But, 
stories of, quote, real-life men in black encounters. Which is what I'm interested in. Like the one we discussed earlier, tend to be a bit more frightening. They always involve a menacing presence sent to terrify witnesses, and they seem to have a pretty high success rate. Yeah. Or do they? Because we've heard about them, right? Mm-hmm. Often people... Do you think there's like more, we just haven't heard about them? Maybe. <laughs> Often people who encounter these darkly clad specters wait several years before speaking out about the incident. Okay. And one thing I found rather interesting was the fact that these encounters often have supernatural undertones. Okay. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. A typical encounter with the men in black usually involves an individual who may or may not be a UFO investigator or ufologist. Ufologist. (laughs) Not long after having had some sort of extraterrestrial or UFO-related encounter, they are approached by mysterious people wearing black suits and sometimes hats. Do you ever see, like, their skin? Do sometimes see their skin. (laughs) Often their arrival is preceded by phone call... Often their arrival is preceded by phone call. No. Often their arrival is preceded by a phone call or some other cryptic form of communication warning the poor innocent ufologist, ufologist. To, stop <laughs> to stop investigating or discussing whatever it is they are investigating or discussing. Men in Black may or may not offer some kind of official identification. If they do, the names given will be false, attached to organizations that they, they do not like actually a briefcase, exist. Right? They probably, some of them probably carried briefcases. Mm. Okay. Female men in black have. Wait, there's female ones too. They have been reported, but they're much rarer. I didn't know that. The vehicles they drive and the style of clothes they wear, and even the speech they use can often be um, anachronistic for the time period. What is anachronistic? It's mean? like old-fashioned. So, for example, in 1967, a Mr. Robert Richardson reported that the men in black arrived for his encounter with them in a 1953 black Cadillac, which, I mean, like, isn't a huge stretch Mm -hmm. to be driving a 1950-something in 1967 because, like, people still drive 1950 shit, right? Still driving 1992 Honda Accords here in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) But still, if the men in black showed up here, they'd probably be driving, like, a 1995 Crown Victoria. (laughs) It's got three hubcaps. Yeah. My mom used to drive a white Crown Victoria, and everywhere we went, people thought we were the police. Oh, Sheena. It was pretty funny. Um, (laughs) Just people breaking. Yeah. During these encounters, the men in black are often aware of personal details and or information about the case that are not public knowledge. Like the guy took photos, and then apparently the next day they knew everything about what had happened. They aided in the development of those photos. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, let's develop these photos for you. Now give them to us. Don't talk about it. Motherfucker. So yeah, like I said, we mentioned that earlier when they knew exactly what had happened. Ultimately, they are there to suggest the witness or investigator forgets what they saw or discontinues their investigation into whatever. Sometimes violence is implied or even threatened, but contrary to something I believe I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. there do not appear to be any actual cases in which violence was inflicted. So... Rewind, I think I said something about assassination. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that has never happened. They so. just threaten. If I could just uh, contradict myself for we a moment. They threaten assassination. We don't actually do it. And that's why you proofread your notes, folks. <laughs> <laughs> In 1952, UFO researcher Albert K. Bender alleged that he received the following warning. Okay. 
we have been watching you and your activities. Please be advised to discontinue delving into the mysteries of the universe. Don't we like will that. make an appearance if you disobey. I don't like that. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> so what was he? What was his deal? Like, what was he doing? We talk about that. Oh, okay. In a bit. I'm just kidding. I um, however, there are times that certain materials are confiscated. They like and, take things. Yeah, and I, actually, I believe the first time I ever heard about the Men in Black uh, involved a story where a couple of them showed up to take some tape that a ufologist uh, had made of some UFOs or something to that extent. Yeah. He wouldn't give them the material. And they killed him. No. Later, he returned home or to his office, and he found that it had been ransacked. Apparently, apparently in an attempt to locate the withheld material, yeah. Did they get them, though? I don't think they did. Ooh. It was some, some, like... Men in Black failed. Something I watched on TV, I was really young. This is the first time I ever heard of the Men in Black. It was before the movies, even. Damn. Yeah, it was crazy. Damn. Yeah, I just aged myself a little bit. <laughs> Some alien conspiracy something I was watching on TV. Uncle Lee got me into that shit. Like, hey, Uncle Lee. Hey, man. He's probably, if he's listening to this episode, he probably is stoked he's just, on like, it. losing his mind. Yeah. Pretty consistently, the Men in Black are noted as having made a very hasty retreat, but they leave behind no sign of their passing, baffling witnesses and leaving them feeling more than a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's almost like they were never there. But they never find, like, the weird car or... Right. Mm. And the exact nature of the men in black is unknown, but there is some big-time strangeness that surrounds their appearance. Yeah. And one thing I read about is that they always show up at weird times. Yeah. Like, I think when there's less of a chance of there being other witnesses... Maybe like slightly inappropriate times they'll show up early in the morning or in the middle of the night, kind of. Um, so like if they ever get like caught on camera, you can never see their faces. And... Yeah, and many reports emphasize their inhuman appearance and behavior, such as ill-fitting clothes. I've also oh. heard. I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. They're just being like ghostly white. Like... Yeah, a lack of facial features such as lips, improperly applied makeup, and monotone voices. Yeah. So, for example. Dr. Herbert Hopkins described his 1976 encounter with a man in black as follows. This character was as bald as an egg. He didn't even have... <laughs> I'm back. I'm sorry. It's okay. This character was as bald as an egg. He didn't even have eyebrows or eyelashes. It looked like he had smooth plastic skin, like a doll, except that it was a dead white color. Was he Jeffree Star? Yes. <laughs> His lips were a brilliant ruby red, and he spoke in an expressionless monotone scanning speech. Oh. He constructed no phrases and sentences, just a sequence of words evenly spaced. His voice was completely passive with no inflection or intonation as if you were hearing it from a machine that could talk. So yes, to the white skin. <laughs> Not Jeffree Star. Uh, these strange or supernatural appearances and behaviors led to assumptions that many of these men in black were in fact aliens themselves. Mm, old egghead. <laughs> old egghead, bald as an egg ass. <laughs> egghead alien. To be fair, there were also some people who thought they might be robots or some type of other inhuman beings. Robots. 
even time travelers were offered as an explanation, which but is... But there is, like, a whole conspiracy about time travelers. Well, this is my favorite explanation, and, you know, it would explain some of the anachronisms. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what you were talking about, though. There's some... You seem like you knew, you, you had more about to say. time travelers? Yeah. Oh, there's just, like, a, a whole conspiracy theory, theory, theory about uh, time travelers and that they are, like, recruited from, like, childhood to go back and do things. So it would be reasonable if that conspiracy theory is true at all that maybe a less experienced time traveler wouldn't exactly know how to behave in the time period that they are in. Yeah. Maybe they're so far in the future, it's like a broader knowledge base of how things actually went in that time period. Like you could get the 50s through the 70s kind of mixed up. I wish I could remember which theory it is. Well, see, that's really cool because I didn't read about that, but it does make sense because if they were some sort of time travelers recruited to go back in time, it would make sense. Maybe they're trying to keep people from talking about this information that could affect them negatively in the future, right? I think it's Project Pegasus, but I also think that might be like a Captain Marvel thing. (laughs) Maybe. Anyway, I think time travel is a perfectly good theory for men in black. It is Project Pegasus. They think Obama went to Mars as a teen, and Obama is a time traveler. Project Pegasus? Mm -hmm. Are they like a... It's a time travel program developed by DARPA in the 1970s codename Project Pegasus. Okay. So the people who believe in this, are they like far-right weirdos? Like anti-Obama, kind of? Obama is just a part of it. I'm just curious. I, I, <laughs> we've just I'm just curious what type surface. of weirdo they are. Maybe we'll talk about Project we Pegasus should talk in the about future. Project Pegasus. I'm going to let you do that one, though, because it is right up your alley. I, you know I love time travel. Yeah. So, yeah, I love time travel. But like I was saying, they could if they were time travelers, I'm not saying I believe this, obviously, but if they were time travelers, maybe they're going back in time to keep certain knowledge from being leaked too early. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we've talked about where the idea of Men in Black came from, and we've briefly discussed who or what the Men in Black might be. Now let's discuss the kind of watershed moment that really caused the Men in Black myth to explode onto our like pop culture reality. Okay, okay. A full decade after Dahl and Chrisman reported their visit with the Men in Black. So we're like in the 1950s now? Well, yes. And we're going to talk about the book, They know they Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. It's a very, um, pretty much on a lot the to the imagination. Right. And you the know title. there's a lot of that going on in this episode? <laughs> this book was published in 1956 by author Gray Barker. The book told tales of government conspiracy about UFO witnesses being threatened into silence. This is the book that told the story of Albert K. Bender that we quoted before. Bender was a Connecticut-based eccentric and UFO investigator. He headed an... That immediately makes it sound so negative, right? That he was a Connecticut-based eccentric and UFO investigator. So let's just focus on he was a UFO. You call anybody eccentric. It's always kind of like a blase. It is kind of negative, right? The connotation of eccentric, I feel like, is like your uncle who lives in a bell tower. You know about him? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Let's just say Bender was a Connecticut-based UFO investigator or a ufologist, if you will. Ufologist. He headed an organization called the International Flying Saucer Bureau. (laughs) How long do you think it took him to come up with that? (laughs) I was defending him. (laughs) (laughs) You 
say that like it was your first time reading that. It just hits different now that I'm rereading it because I wasn't reading it out loud. I was just doing some research. You I know? defended you. This organization actually had international support and at one point boasted around 600 members. Ooh, 600. So not bad. I mean, not bad for 1956. You know what? I'm going to give it to them. There's we just bone trees and letters and shit. <laughs> yeah. Once we get past 600 listeners, we can talk shit about the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Okay. So the I. So if you guys could just share this. Yeah, share. Because I'm ready to talk shit. If you can share this, if we get actually, let's say this, if we get 600 subscribers, we'll make a whole episode just talking shit about the IFSB. <laughs> That's the whole episode. Anyway, um, the IFSB was also published a quarterly journal known as Space Review. Which, along with Bender's other UFO-related activities, appears to have attracted the attention of the men in black in 1952. According to Barker's book, a number of strange occurrences preceded Bender's... Okay, so Barker wrote the book, but it's telling Bender's story. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify because it might get a little little confusing for listeners because it confused me when I was taking notes. Okay. Um, and I'm not talking down to you guys. I'm just saying it confused me. I had to go back like, who the fuck is this Bender? Anyway, according to Barker's book, a number of strange occurrences preceded Bender's first encounter with the men in black. And these encounters included sulfurous smells filling his apartment. Hey, good. Strange phone calls, health problems, a sensation of being watched, and experiences with hypnosis and levitation. Okay. Bender also reported encountering a man with glowing eyes in a movie theater. Apparently, after an attempt to make contact through a telepathy-based experiment involving other IFSB members failed, yellow mist began to pool in his apartment, and he began to receive telepathic warnings to cease his investigation. Interesting. Apparently, the first, quote, true encounter came in July of 1953 when three men dressed in black Visited Bender at his home. <laughs> I left out the word black in my notes. I said, when three men in visited Bender at his home. <laughs> so Bender described them as looking like clergymen in Hamburg style hats. You know what a Hamburg is? No. So picture like the late 1950s kind of FBI agent. It's yeah. almost like a fedora. The oh, okay. top kind of yeah. goes in, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like a G-man, like the G-man look. They communicated with him telepathically and basically told him to stop publishing and cease any UFO-related work. Then they confiscated a few copies of Space Review and bounced, leaving behind a trail of yellow smoke. They only took a few copies? Yeah, like they left of some. like his magazine. <laughs> Maybe specific copies had things that were true in it. Oh, too bad he didn't keep like a catalog. Makes me think of the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Conspiracy Theory? Probably yeah. not. It was a Mel Gibson movie. And he's a cab driver who's like a big conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And he always tells like his bears all about his conspiracies and stuff. And he's really paranoid. And like he has all these conspiracies in his house. Uh-huh. Well, at one point, he's telling somebody something. And it turns out to be true. Mm-hmm. And then they come after him because he told the truth. And he has no idea what. Did the men in black come after him? No, the government. Oh. He doesn't know which one was true, but... Just because he keeps telling all of them. But they came after him because he did indeed 
tell one that was true. He figured something out that he didn't realize was... Oh, okay. I mean, to him it was true. And apparently, anyway. true. But that one was specifically extra right. true. Anyway, that one was the extra true one. They came after him, tried to kill him. So apparently Bender was terrified by this encounter. Reasonably. Three dudes show up, speak to you through their mind. Took and my magazines. Take your magazines and leave yellow smoke behind. Sulfuric gas behind? Pretty fucking scary. Not Maybe only did demons, you break into right? my house, you left. Don't demons supposedly cause like a sulfurous smell? Yes. I could also, again, be thinking of supernatural. No, I, I think that's a thing. I mean, well, like, it's a thing. But like, Quote, no. unquote. Because that would mean... Demons. That would mean demons were, uh, were real, you know? Anyway. They are real. Moving because on. not only was the IFSB shut down, oh, sure, just move on. But the publication of Space Review also ceased. <laughs> yes, I'm moving on. The final issue claimed that the truth about UFOs was no longer hidden, but did not offer any elaboration on the claim. Apparently, the fear would not last forever, though. In 1962, Bender and Barker would publish a book together called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Ooh, that's little pigs that was the other thing that was on the nose the title of the last book they knew oh. too much about flying saucers <laughs> not only did the book expand on the bender story first presented in they knew too much about flying saucers but it detailed a number of other claimed encounters with one involving alien creatures born from eggs and another that mentioned a trip to antarctica we got to read these books yeah but why did he break his word and go against the wishes of the men in black who visited him? Because fuck them dudes. Fuck them aliens. Fuck them egg-headed no. asses. Time travel ass motherfuckers. Sorry, I had to, I hadn't I realized I haven't sworn a whole lot in this episode, so I wanted to <laughs> I just wanted up. to boost up my profanity <laughs> a little bit. Anyway, Dr. Peter M. Rajewski, PhD, Rajewski. I don't know how to pronounce his name who also reported having encountered the men in black, has claimed that the change of heart may have been psychological drama resulting from a combination of his bizarre interests and the stress his close friends placed on him to reveal his secret. Okay. So a lot of people obviously do not believe in the men in black, at least no. not necessarily the incarnation of them reported by UFO enthusiasts, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, people have encountered FBI agents or individuals from other government agencies for a variety of reasons throughout our history. And depending on the time period or the day or the individual agent, I'm sure some of them wore black suits. So a lot of people think that the MIB reported by ufologists and UFO enthusiasts are a sort of mass delusion or self-fiction, right? Yeah. Well, the word the mass delusion has come up in my... Um my brain a lot going through this topic it comes up in, in like a few topics kind of like a a thing that nobody actually remembers but everyone remembers because people are talking about it mm -hmm. like apparently there's some tv show that used to come on and everybody talks about how weird it was and it's like really creepy but it never really came on what and, show? Oh man, it's like something cove uh candy cove or something Mm. I'm gonna look it up real quick. <laughs> I think it was a creepy pasta that people just sort of started believing. But it believing. wasn't like a, a real show. Mm -mm. Candle Cove. Candle Cove. It's an online horror story written by Chris Straub, who is a cartoonist that I like, and also um, one of the players on like a D and D show that I watch. And it, 
people just like they just talk believe about it. that shit. Interesting. Oh, good job, Chris, on that creepy pasta, dude. Like people, <laughs> people are believing it. Anyway, mass delusion, right? Well, <laughs> Doctor Rockjewicks. That's like the fourth way you pronounced it. Doctor Rockjewicks, again, who has himself alleged an encounter with the Men in Black, does not accept that particular explanation. He writes, "The challenge to this view, as a general interpretation of all Men in Black accounts." stems from the fact that reliable witnesses who neither sleep in rooms with artificial bats and spiders nor hang pictures of vampires and werewolves on their walls also report encounters with men in black. First of all, I'm feeling a little called out. I know. So fuck you, <laughs> Dr. Rockjewicks. But yeah, I have to say that a fair amount of people think that these encounters are bullshit. Yeah. Apparently, according to other people in the community the UFO community. Barker liked to pepper his reality with a heaping helping of fiction and also enjoyed playing pranks on other members of the community. So his credibility is a little sus. Obviously, the possibility that something is a hoax can never be ruled out, especially when discussing things that exist kind of outside of our regular perception of reality. Like men in black. Right. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide what you think about it, but there you go. That's a very brief overview of the Men in Black and a couple of people who have encountered them. That's wild. That's wild. Wild. Wow. How's that for a day's worth of work? I think you did great. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what do you think? Hoax or I think ghost? Just I kidding. I don't think it's ghost. Maybe ghost there in the beginning. Um. I don't think. Sure. Men in Black. You think the men in black have visited people? I think they have, but I don't think it's... Maybe not these people? Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's probably not alien-related. Interesting. All right. You think, like, when, like, people start to, like, figure out too much and they think that they might stumble upon something else and the government's like, hey, stop that. Hey, hey, you stop that. It's just unfortunate that the people that are sent to do it unfortunate looking just like, they just pick the ugliest people because nobody likes to do field work yeah they're like hey uggo just like put that. a shirt on button that top button and go threaten these people well, it's also like the 1950s right isn't like the style to wear suits yeah and hats and hats uh-huh and like walk around with a briefcase speaking of time travel i watched a, a, a like a mini uh not a mini series but like a limited series and i read a book by stephen king called Eleven twenty-two sixty-three, mm. and it's a time travel book where the guy goes back in time to try to stop the assassination of JFK. Yeah, and one of the things that the person who told him about, like the the time portal or whatever, like the hole in time, uh -huh. he's like giving him a bunch of instructions because he was dying and he wasn't gonna be able to do it. He wanted him to do it because he was younger, right? He's like, you gotta get a suit. You got to get a hat and like a haircut and shave or you're going to stick out big time. And when he first goes there, he has long hair, he has a beard, and people are fucking suspicious of him. Like he's... some kind of dirty fucking hippie. Yeah, hippie. Right, yeah. Um, right before hippies he's got were like a thing. He's got a t-shirt on. People are like, what the fuck what are you fuck wearing? What the a t-shirt? Yeah. yeah, no. So it's pretty cool. It's a good book. It's probably one of my favorites. Anyway, that's all I have about Men in Black. Yeah. And aliens. So, I mean, uh, for now. For now. Um, anyway. Sorry. It's okay. 
for those of you listening, um, Felicia just played a, a, a little bit of a Will Smith song, which you will not hear. Ooh, plug that shit in the description. Plug it in the description. The part where, what is it, the episode where Felicia played part of a song you won't be able to listen to. <laughs> okay, don't do it. What? Plug what? I don't get what you're saying. Put the song in it. Like a link? Yeah. Oh. I don't know if we can do that. Okay, well, don't do it. <laughs> if you want to know what the song is, just email me. Well, we talked about it. Anyway, thanks for listening to another episode of Our Odd Pod Podcast. I think Felicia's struggling. Where we um also very briefly review copyright laws at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, check us out, www.ouroddpodpodcast.com. We have a banner. We have a banner. With all of our stuff on it. Yeah, like a sidebar. Click that sidebar. We got Spotify links. We got Stitcher links. We got Instagram. We got personal Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Email. DarrenCurtisMusic.com. He's on there too. He does our intro and outro. We love him. He never responded to my email, but you know what? He's probably busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are losing it. We are losing it. But anyway, we're the Boneses, and we, we are, are out. out.